Town Hall Academy, episode 88. I was probably about five years ago, and it was from one of my suppliers. And uh, I was like, yeah, uh, sounds interesting. I went, and honestly, it almost angered me that I hadn't known about stuff like that for the previous almost 20 years. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hello and welcome to the Aftermarket's only weekly forum for the forever student, the Town Hall Academy. Hey, the panel today shares their very personal and transparent sentiments on the many mistakes they made as they grew their businesses. Carm Capriato here in the captain's seat for the 88th week of the Academy episodes. You know, I'm grateful that you've subscribed to the podcast on one of over a dozen listening apps for your smart device. So if you're commuting, jogging, doing crunches, or watching the bonfire, I want to thank you for your support and engagement. Please let me know if you appreciate the content and if it has made a difference in your life or your business. Hey, I want to thank Jesper Engines and Transmissions for making the Town Hall Academy free for all aftermarketers. At Jasper Engines and Transmissions, quality and customer service is their number one goal. Their associates take pride in their work, and it shows in the quality drivetrain products they produce. Their quality and customer service is second to none and has kept them growing for 76 years. With me for this academy is Bambi Crozier from Car Clinic in Lowell, Arkansas, Frank Scandura from Frank's European in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Tom Lambert from Shade Tree Automotive, Layton, Utah. Now, if you're a person who thinks you can do everything yourself, then you need to listen to this trio explain their knock upside the head. You know that VA moment when they realized it was the worst thing they could have ever done. They share their school of hard knocks so you don't spend too much time in the places that they were and accelerate your business because you now have the proof of what to do to prevent your business from being stuck in neutral. This team opens up and shares the immense learning curve they went through so you will minimize yours. So many key takeaways like this. It's not what you don't know. It's also about what your people don't know. We talk micromanaging, training, business models, KPIs, and empowering your people. And yes, they will make mistakes, just like you did. Find the talking points, the bios, and links to the panel's previous episodes at remarkableresults.biz slash A088. Now listen to an outstanding Town Hall Academy with Bambi Crozier, Frank Scandura, and Tom Lambert. Hey, everything I did wrong and what I learned. Who's with me here today? Well, we'll start with ladies first. Bambi Crozier, Car Clinic in Lowell, Arkansas. Hi, Bambi. Right. Hello. You're looking good today. Looking Thank good you. today. Frank Scandura from Frank's European in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning. Hey, Frank. Been to Frank's place. In fact, we'll do our live Town Hall Academy during show week at Apex, right from Frank's place. So if you're going to be there, and even if you're not, you know, going to be participating in the show, we're going to, we're actually doing a shop tour at Frank's place. Uh, not hard to find. Just uh, just search for that, and Google will be there probably starting at at least eight o'clock in the morning, so we can set up for that. And Tom Lambert's with us, Shade Tree Automotive in Layton, Utah. Uh, I'm excited about this topic because uh, you know us wise people. 
Um, you know, people look at look at it and says, "Wow, he never made a mistake." Well, that's not true. We 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 know that is great businessmen. So, Frank, I want to start with you. I don't know about you, but I always thought I could do all the work. That was one of my big mistakes, you know, um, and especially in, if, I've always described it this way, too, when I talk to shop owners as a technician, like most of us have started out, we controlled everything we did. The car came to us. We figured it out. We fixed it. We gave it back and controlled that entire process. So when we move into shop ownership, we still think the same way. Well, I can control the entire process. Let me order the parts. Let me do the paperwork. Let me do the payroll. Let me do the billing. Let me, let me, let me, let me. Because after all, who can do it better than I can? Certainly nobody. And then we tend to create this environment of not, first of all, my biggest problem with that barrier was afraid to hire people smarter than I was afraid to hire people better than I was because, you know, you get a little bit of, well, 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 you know, I'm the king. I'm it. I'm the guy. It's my name on the building. I did this. So uh, thinking I could do it all was a huge stumbling block. You for know, me. Frank, we've all made that mistake. Can you think back to wh- wh- where was that life-changing moment that you realized you needed to hire smarter people than you? Yeah, it was probably one of my, uh, um, frustrations where I stuck my bony Sicilian finger in the air and said, I built this. And just like that, the spirit of conviction pierced my heart and was like, you, you think you did all this? Uh, that was, uh, that was a turning moment for me. And, um, that, that was, that was a hard realization. And that's, that broke me for a moment to make me realize you didn't do this. Number one, I have a higher power that I answer to. He's the one that gives me the gifts, the talents, the abilities to move forward in my life to with the ideas and everything. Then it was him who brought the people into my life who asked me for a job. They asked me for a job, right? I didn't go knocking on doors and saying, come here, I'm going to force you to work for me. They asked. Uh, and it was up to me to give them the opportunities, the tools they needed to succeed and not think that this was all me. When did you realize a team was important, Frank? It was way, it was early on. It was probably around, um, let's see, I opened in 01, probably 2004 or 05. It took me a few years to get that. I knew a team was important, but I thought that, um, but there's no I in team, and that's that's what had to happen to you. Yeah, that's the problem, right? And and my problem was, who showed you how to do it that way? Get out of here. I'll find someone else to do it. What what did you do it that way for? Get out of here. I'll find someone else to do it. You know, um, man, I chewed up a few good people doing it. You know, what I think Frank is really trying to say here is he may have been a micromanager, and boy, do, 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 I, do I have scars about that. Uh, Tom, were you ever a micromanager? Oh yeah, I could write a I could write a book. I always understood the need for a good team. I don't necessarily think uh, I like to think that I've always been fairly humble. I don't think it was a fact that I thought that uh, I was the best. I just uh, I just feel like my business grew so fast that uh, I never really had a time to really sit back and reflect. Things were just always happening, and I felt like I ran my shop with so much in my head that there was no way that I could explain everything that was up there in the daily routine for somebody else to succeed by doing it. Therefore, by not being able to explain to them how to do it, 
I didn't know how, I didn't know how to explain how to do it. So I would just do it. Um, so a little bit different sort of perspective for me. I never really, I never really micromanaged necessarily because I didn't think somebody else could do it. I almost micromanaged because I didn't feel like I could explain to somebody else how to do it, if that makes sense. That's so. happened to me before. I don't mean to butt into this conversation, but I remember asking someone to do a project. I thought I explained it well, then it was done, and then I went over, and then I explained, showed them what I really meant or what I thought I said. And after a while, I'd say do the project, and everyone found an excuse not to do it. They were too busy. They had other things going on. And so it never got done because I never let someone express their own creativity and and accept that. And, and then sooner or later, what I think happens is you work toward sameness once everyone has a, has a chance to, to do that. Um, so I guess I loved being perfect all the time, right, Bambi? <laughs> yes. Uh Yes, I came in thinking that um, everything's always been fairly easy, right? For me, it, it didn't it didn't take a lot. Uh, there's God gives us lots of gifts, and everything that I've always had to do was always fairly easy. And it kind of this perfection falls in line with you can't do everything on your own. So you can put together all these processes, and you can put together how you want things to flow, um, but you can't. You can't force those things upon everybody else. And what works easily for me, the words that flow easily for me may not be so easy for my service rider. They may not um, flow the same way for my technicians. So um, perfection was a challenge for me because I, I expected myself to be perfect. I expected my my staff to come in and be perfect almost from the get-go. No training because there was no time for that. Um, this is how you, I need you to do it. I've told you once, let's get it done. And um, that's a bad place to be. Uh, what we really need to do is just expect us to be our best and um, listen, support, and empower our team. Because if they're if they're coming to meet me at that line every day, and and I know that they're working with my values at at, at heart, and they're wanting to take, they're they're protecting this brand, then I've got to allow mistakes. I can't be so hard and harsh, and that's been a big a big learning for me over the last several years is that I've got to step back and allow people to make mistakes and heck allow myself to make mistakes uh, and kind of laugh at it. <laughs> yeah, You know, I, I think your point is so well taken. You know, I, it's almost like you have to put your hand up and pledge that there is no perfection that exists. Nothing. No one is perfect and it's okay to make a mistake. It's yeah. Okay. And, and and can we learn from it? I think the, the the beauty of coaching, the beauty of leadership is that together as a collective team we learn from those. And and you know, there's so much talk about technicians need to go to a school that's longer than two years so that they can actually break more things before they enter the industry. But you need to <laughs> it's really funny, but it's true. And and when they come into your place, you've got to allow them to to break a few things and one guy suggested that you you buy a couple of clunkers that don't work and put put the new tech on them and then l let them turn them around make their own mistakes and of course then then sell sell the unit to you know and and that really goes so far as to all the learning you know frank it's like we don't know what we don't know and you know and, and in fact once you accept that in my opinion you accept, ex accept the fact that that's going to be a lifelong challenge, 
it's even deeper, right? It's it's not what I don't know. It's understanding what others don't know. Because I always struggled with, why don't you know that? Why don't you right. think that? Like Bambi was saying, uh, it just flows so naturally out of me, this gift that I have. I don't understand why you don't do it. I had to learn that here's the starting point. Here's the ending point. Sometimes my path is a little more direct than somebody else's. If the end product is the same, I had to back off, let them operate in the in the gifts that they have as long as the end product was the same. Yeah. And my biggest challenge is, even today, because I can hear all of my service advisors through my office, is not jumping up to get involved in the middle of the conversation. I've learned... And, it, and it's hard and I hate it. But what I've learned to do is after the situation's over, hey, I noticed that this happened. What could have been done differently? Mm-hmm. And then it forces them to go, well, maybe I should have done this or that. I go, okay, I like that. Um, let's do that next time. And trust me, my instinct is, why did you do it? I want you to do it this way. That's my instinct. <laughs> yes. So you sit on your Italian Sicilian hands, <laughs> my bony Sicilian fingers in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. I'm half of that, and and, and so yeah, you you just don't uh, get involved yeah. until post post involvement is what you're saying. And, and sometimes it costs money, right? Sometimes it costs me money. So, and I've got to understand that those mistakes cost me money in the old days when I was making the mistakes. I've got to help my people learn, even if it's, you know, could I have intervened and saved me a hundred or 200 or 300 or whatever it is? Maybe. Did they learn? No. And And I've got to stop creating the environment where they run to me. Dad, what do you think about this? Dad, what do you think about that? Dad, what do you think about this? Okay, your customer's engine or transmission has failed, but now is not the time for them to trade their vehicle. Not without a working engine or transmission. Besides, would they have kept their vehicle another three to five years if their engine or transmission had not let them down? Well, if you answered yes, then Jasper Engines and Transmissions is your choice to give your customer's vehicle new life and many thousands of miles of enjoyable driving performance. When considering the high cost of a new or newer used vehicle, there's a pretty good case to be made for your customers to replace a drivetrain component that has failed or is delivering poor performance, rather than trading their car, truck, van, or SUV. Install a quality remanufactured Jasper product for less than your customer would have to invest in a different vehicle. Go to jasperengines.com to learn more about the money-saving value of Jasper. Do you ever worry that you can't scale your business so that you can actually leave for two weeks and not have to be worried? Yeah, I used to. I used to. Okay. Um, and, and I've got to the point where I don't come in at the crack of dawn anymore and I don't leave. I'm not first in, first out, uh, last out anymore. And I used to be the only one that had the key. And then and somebody made a comment to me. He says, well, if you don't trust your people with a key, why do you have them working here? And I said, hmm, it's not that I don't trust them. It's I'm in charge, my shop, my deal. I'm first in, I'm last out. You know what? It's a bunch of nonsense. And I'm not the first in anymore, and I'm not the last out anymore. And, and, and being able to trust the people to do the job they need to do is amazing. I love what Frank is saying, Tom. I mean, he's basically saying is, is get out of your own way. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, sure. 
So training, Tom, what what kind of training did you take on in in you know, in the early days you were probably going through every piece of mechanical training that you could find, every technical training and did you ever take any leadership training early on? Not early on, um and honestly, uh that was a big difference in my life. Uh I I I state that quite often. I didn't um Aftermarket community does a good job of uh, providing and putting technical training in front of us, but leadership management, sales training, I didn't even know there was such a thing, you know? So I got, I got invited to my first kind of like, I think it was like a 12 numbers you need to know class. Uh, I was probably about five years ago and it was from one of my suppliers and, uh, I was like, yeah, uh, sounds interesting. I went and honestly, uh, it almost angered me that I hadn't known about stuff like that for the previous almost 20 years. Uh, cause, uh, you don't know what you don't know. And, uh, I didn't know a lot. So I was just, uh, I was just a guy that knew how to work with common sense and no training or uh, really anything to be doing what I was doing at the scale I was doing it at. Hey, everybody, the soundbite. He just he just mentioned the soundbite. I was angry at myself that I didn't know this. Yeah, it was, a, it was an eye-opener for sure. Basically, that's the, I put my ego on the shelf and I started to realize I don't know what I don't know. And that's a moment every business owner, small business owner needs to have. Yeah, and you need to get mad enough at yourself to make changes in yourself. Bambi, happened to you? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, take us to the day. So let me take you to the day. I've probably uh, it's pretty embarrassing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just paint you a story for a minute. We opened in 2012, and I, um, my husband and I. He's brilliant at wrenching, uh, and I, I understand sales and, and customer-facing and people. And so we were a good duo, the two of us, and we did very well. Um, and my husband always, you know, I'm always arguing with him to understand his value, know your value. You don't understand your value. Let me run this side of the wall. You run that side of the wall. I got this. Let me go. Um but in that, there was a little bit of a big head coming from me because I, I came from corporate America, understood processes. I understood, I understood, I understood. So uh, he would want me to come out and look in the shop at things. And I was, I don't need to know all that. I, ju- I need to know this side. Let me run this side. You run that side. And um, which is all well and good. You get all your processes together and it goes along with the perfection and you can't do this alone is... Um, you can go that far that you can do that for so long by yourself. You can even bring some staff into that, but it it becomes toxic. It becomes toxic when you've got this big head who thinks they know everything running around, running processes, not including others in creating the processes. And it all came to a head last year. I mean, it's, that's how fresh it is. So 2017, we lost our, our location where we were and had to quickly find another building. And I'm in Northwest Arkansas where uh, warehouse type space, which is what we need, um, goes to the vendors and and most of the the commercial uh, property owners do not want oily, greasy mechanics inside these spaces when they can rent them for top dollar to all these vendors that are here for Walmart. So it was challenging to find a space. We finally found a space. 
And in that interim, I lost my entire staff, y'all. Like my entire staff quit because we weren't sure that we were even going to find a space. And, and I'm, my husband tells me I'm too transparent. I tell everybody everything. So I had told my staff everything that was going on. And I wasn't sure if we had a location and we were going to figure it out. And trust me, and I got this and God's on my side and we're, we're going to be doing this. Except for um, the only one who believed it was me. <laughs> so eventually we moved. We replaced the staff. My husband and I had a trip to the UK planned 30 days after that we planned for a year and a half that um, was scheduled for 30 days after we moved into this new location with this new staff. <coughs> I should have made the decision not to go or postpone it. And I didn't. It almost lost my business in that time frame. So training is critical. Um, understanding you don't know what you don't know is critical. Learning to pull others into your process and, and, and um, you don't have to know it all and you don't have to be perfect is critical. Thank you for being so transparent. Uh, a tough story to tell, uh, but so much wisdom there. Wow. Um, thank you for that, Bambi. I, I, I know that was a hard, to, hard, hard story to tell. Um, so, Frank, you're telling me that you, you felt you could do all the work. So, you know, when you went home at night and you were the service manager and the owner and the bank deposit guy and the tech and all of that, uh, didn't, it, didn't, it, uh, didn't it hit you over the head that, you know, what the hell am I doing? Do I have a hobby? Do I have a real business here? You know, um, kind of like Thomas, uh, when I started to get those trade magazines that had those great articles in it and I became an ASA member, Net Inc. magazine, um, really has some really great uh, uh. articles for the shop owner. And when I started to learn how to transfer my thought process from the technician to the service advisor to the service manager to the shop owner to a business owner. And that's what helped me break free. <clears throat> that's when I realized I needed to put people in place to do the job I need done. Hire better, help them learn, and then hold them accountable, right? I even wrote an article a few years ago about, you know, are you holding yourself accountable? If you don't hold yourself accountable, how are you going to hold your staff accountable? And we tend to do that. Uh, Joe Marconi just wrote an article recently, you know, about that. Usually the problem with a business owner's frustration is you're the problem, right? And Bambi's pointing to herself and I'm pointing to myself. And <clears throat> when things aren't going well, and that was a great reminder and a great time for, for that to come out is, okay, let's look at the top again. Um, I don't know about you guys. I got 15, 16 employees. They all just want to come in and do a good job. Nobody comes in to irritate me. Nobody comes in to see if I can light Frank off like a scud missile. Um, they do sometimes, but that's okay. But that's usually my reaction to something that's really quite normal. Boy, there's a, that, that's a big comment right there. It's your reaction. Yeah. Yeah, because you know what? We can't control anything other than how we react to what happens to us. That's all I can control. I can't control the technology. I can't control the customers. I can't control the vehicles. I cannot, you know, control anything other than my reaction to it. But we can hire smarter than us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's the trick right there. Yeah. Hire smarter than me. I got to find people who are smarter than me. And I, I have. And that's a blessing. Yeah. And, and then let them do the job we fired them to do. Give them the tools to do it. 
we fired ourselves so that they could do. Oh yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> fire yourself so you can you can hire people smarter and better than you and delegate that responsibility. You wouldn't sit across from someone saying, "I really need this really top notch, you know, superstar rock star in the industry," and then never let him be it. Shame right. on us. I mean, you can. Yeah. You can. I did it. Yeah. And, and, and that's why you're here telling us the story. That's right. <laughs> Tom, any hiring, um, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, experience that you'd love to share? Yeah, I used to be uh, terrible in this uh, arena. Hiring uh, used to just give me anxiety. Training, firing was even worse. Uh I used to just kind of take people for their word because I didn't really know a, I didn't really have a great process of how to, of, to know what the result I wanted off of a phone interview. I didn't know the exact result I wanted off of a sit down interview. In my mind, I just really wanted the person across from me to be the person. So I didn't have to say no. So therefore I would find myself uh, the whole time we're talking, convincing myself why this is the person instead of, looking at from a different view trying to prove why it's not um and uh yeah it, it's almost kind of an ongoing joke around here because everybody i'm pretty transparent so everybody that works for me uh almost everyone on my staff was part of my staff back when i used to be terrible at hiring uh by sheer luck honestly um uh, i've got the staff that i that i have i'm very very blessed in that manner but it wasn't necessarily due to my fine-tuned hiring and uh, interviewing skill at all. Were you using the fog the mirror discipline? Yeah, not not necessarily. You would guess I was. I mean, I, I mean, I've always had common sense. I mean, I could definitely weed through the guy that had jumped from shop to shop to shop that always had something negative to say about somebody else. Obviously, if if uh, you know they have something bad to say about their past three employers. I'm probably going to be the next one on their list that is the the dirtiest guy in the world. You know what I mean? So I at least knew enough to avoid the negative people. But uh, but now, honestly, I hire off of a culture. Uh, the the young lady that runs my office uh, came to me seven years ago and uh, was a realtor. Walked into my office as a, a service advisor's assistant. Probably couldn't have even told you what a tie rod was or if her car had one. And uh, now she she runs my whole shop and does a does an amazing job. And uh, everybody in the area compliments me on her and would love to have her, but they never can. So, uh, so yeah, we we hire off a of culture. Um, same thing goes for my advisors. Uh, uh, one of my best advisors came from uh, from outside the industry. Uh, I just liked him, knew he would work well with me, trained him what he needed to know, and now he's one of the best out there. And, uh, I hope to work with him the rest of our career. Nobody else can have him either. So let's talk about customers. Let's talk about everything you learned, you know, everything, everything you did wrong and everything, what you learned when it comes to customers. Bambi. I've always treated my clients, um, the way that I would want my daughter or my mother treated. I want them taken care of. Uh, when I moved from service writing, to hiring someone for that and running the shop, uh, I still maintain that and forgot, you know, my, my role then moved to, I needed to have that mentality for my employees and, and allow them, my clients to, or my, my service writer to 
maintain my customer um, relationships. So I would say for me, I've got to allow, I've got to allow Chris to maintain those relationships. I've got to encourage when people reach out to me personally, whether it be on my cell phone or my um, Facebook or, or whatever, however they email me, I've got to encourage that relationship to go through Chris. Uh, I will tell you one story that um, is I've got to hire someone who's better than me at certain things. Uh, I had a, a client that um, wanted us to do a head gasket on a Subaru. It was, I don't know, 200,000 miles. We should not have done the head gasket. We should have explained and, and said, you need to, you've got other issues going on or whatever the case may be. We should have encouraged an engine job. We went in, everything looked okay. We did the head gasket. She drove to somewhere off in Tennessee, called and said, now we've got, we have no oil. Well, this is the first time we'd seen the client, the last time we saw the client and it was, it got ugly and she got really ugly uh, on the phone. And um, this was our first year. I mean, we were, we weren't in business 18 months and um, I didn't, I didn't handle it well. I, I was, this lady's cursing at me on the phone. I didn't know what she was talking about. She wouldn't calm down. So I, when I look to hire service writers, I look for someone who works really well under pressure, especially if somebody's getting in your face, uh, because people are not kind sometimes when their cars break down. They're, they forget that you're dealing with another human there who's trying their hardest to help you. So the two things for me is now I've got to put my focus on taking care of my employees and let my service writer take care of my clients. And I hire for someone who can handle that situation that I had with much better grace than I did because 15 minutes into that call and I got a little sailor like and hung up the phone and that was the end of that. So I love that. Not, the, <laughs> not my best, not my best moment. So <laughs> oh, I got sailor like, <laughs> Yeah, that does happen. Frank, learning curve on customers uh, from, you know, what you thought to what you know now? I didn't know it was okay to fire customers. I thought the customer was always right, no matter what. And the truth is the customer is usually right, but some people can be unreasonable. And very politely and very professionally, it's okay to say, I don't think this is the right shop for you. Thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, no, you're going to work on my car. I'm sorry. I don't think this is the right shop for you. Thanks for stopping by. And I've gone so far as to stand by the door, holding the door open, and I'll stop talking and wait for them to walk out and leave. Um, and and that was that was hard because, you know, hey, they came to me and I got to take care of them and I got to do what's right. And, you know, it's okay to terminate your relationship with customers. You could tell it's blazoned in his mind on on having done that first one. And so how many over the course of years has that happened? You know, it's, it's, it's probably two or three times a year at minimum that I'll get involved to that point and say, listen, I, we have a customer here recently. And over the last 10 years, we've probably done $17,000 worth of work for her. And every single visit is drama. Every single visit is, you guys did this, you guys did that. I don't understand. And it's this constant battle. And it's just not to the point where, you know what, every single time we're interacting on this vehicle, it sucks the life out of a number of people. And how many of us have experienced, you know, we're concentrating on that 
difficult customer that's demanding, wanting discounts, refusing to pay the full bill, and all these other problems that go with it. Every single thing that goes wrong with the car is our fault. Everett sends you. Um, and then you got that really good customer that's up here is going, look, guys, if you don't have time for me, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Never says a word, never complains. It just goes away and you never know why. So to get to that, to really recognize that, to say, listen, th this is just too hard of a relationship. You know, it's like having a friend that, you know, you, how many of us have those friends that we don't talk to them for six months and we pick up right where we left off and we're laughing, we're having fun. Then you've got that friend. He said, hey, I was thinking about you. Oh, I thought you lost my number. Did you forget to call me? And, uh, and then it's like, you know, sorry, I just remembered this trick. I'm going to put on my phone, do not answer for those calls, right? So it, it's okay to remove those people from our lives, customers, friends, family, whatever it is. That's yeah. hard. <clears throat> Lifts the weight, doesn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to make you happy and uh we don't want you unhappy and I don't wanna be unhappy, so uh let's make a happy move and get you connected with someone that I think might fit you better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I love it when somebody says, No, I'm gonna make you work on my car. I'll actually chuckle now. Yeah. <laughs> But by the way, you had mentioned Auto Inc. magazine and the great articles that you read. And Tony Mala was with us here, and he's probably busy and, and had to get off. But I wanted to give a high uh, shout out to to Tony. Um, learning curve on marketing, Tom. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> Did you hear that needs sigh? This show needs to be about twelve hours long for me to uh, to get these things off my chest. So marketing wise. I did the I did the typical thing that we that I now coach all the shops to to quit doing is uh, uh, discounts, uh, oil changes, uh, coupon, all those words that uh, almost just turned my stomach right there to say those. You know what I mean? I feel like the walls are going to fall in on me to even state those words around here. I used to bring customers in because uh, I just felt like I always needed more. I just needed more customers. I just needed to work harder. Right? That's why I didn't make enough money. I just need to, I just need to work longer hours and bring more customers more cars, in. More cars, get more, cars, more, cars, more cars, more cars. Yeah. So I used to do all those discounts and then you bring a customer in on a discount. And then if you're not a discount model shop, you just, you just tricked them, right? Like, uh, you can't bring them in thinking you're this and then give them this. Uh, that's, that, that's, I, I really feel that's something that's plaguing our whole industry is we're bringing them in on something this, and then we're 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 trying to cram this down their down their throat. And so it just worked out. Uh, it, it ended up working out okay because I was I was good at turning a lot of those customers that weren't necessarily my customer into a customer over time and 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 earning market share. But thankfully, I got enough market share now to where I I I still help everybody. Uh, everybody I help. No matter who calls me or comes in my office, it's just now a lot of those customers I'm helping by referring them to the, the the shop down the road. You know, if they if they have to have it right now and can't wait on me, I've got a I've got a shop that can do waiters all day every day. If they need a significant discount, and that's all they care about. I pick the next shop in my town that is going out of business, and I I send them down there to to speed that process up. Um, and we're nice and courteous to everybody, but we, we've got a very specific, uh, target, you know, we're, we're, we're one of the higher cost shops around. Uh, I might be 10% more than some competitors, but 
I better be providing at least 25% more value for that money spent with, uh, with a lot of things we do, the processes we follow, the team I have is worth a hundred percent more in, in my opinion than, than anybody. So, uh, very, very narrow target market now that I've, uh, that I've grown up a little bit. So thank you. Um, are we copying big box stores when it comes to, you know, seeing their marketing? Well, well, they're doing coupon. We should do a coupon. They're doing four for one. We should do four for one. They're doing discount. We should do discount because if we don't, we're going to, we're going to, we're not, we're going to stand out. We're, we're I'm sorry. We're not going to stand in is, is, are we just doing copycat marketing? I think so. Um, I think where it, where it really boils down to is do you understand what um, business model you're going after? Because there, to me, I think there's two different mindsets in, in business. There is there is that discount world, or or there is uh, the value world, um, and it depends on which which way you want to go. And I'm not going to say either one is good or bad. I, I know which one I've chosen. Um, because it's less stress on me, it's less stress on my my team, it's less stress on my clients, um, and I'm working with people who value what we do instead of value money. Um, and not that I don't, not that I'm not affordable because I am, and not that um, I'm trying to rip people off because that's not the case. But I would prefer for me, what's important to me in my life is my time. It's my relationships. And, and therefore those are my values. That's what I'm putting into my business. Uh, and I did, I've run this, um, this relational business for several years. And then, uh, we moved uh, last year and my life was turned upside down last year. And I, I reached out to some people and got some advice to do some discount marketing. And I actually had some long-term good clients call me and say, Bambi, that's not, that's not who you are. And, um, and that's not who I want to do business with. So I need you to make a decision. And these, I'm very blessed with our Walmart world and our, our vendors here. A lot of the vendors are our clients and, and they are, um, very smart in their business, which I've been able to get some great advice. Um, so I, I got some good advice from some of my long-term clients that says, Bambi, that's not who you are. So I need you to make, I, I, if I were you, I'd be making a decision because that's not the type of shop I want to go to. And it woke me up and I'm like, okay, all right. Um, I really need to stick to my core and understand my business model and then make sure all of my marketing aligns, make sure my hiring aligns, make sure my training aligns to that. I can't jump back and forth. Frank, learning curve on marketing. Sure. So when I first started, I didn't have a clue about marketing and I trusted the people who knocked on the door or called on the phone and said, I'm here to show you this awesome product. And, and they would bring their presentation. I wouldn't have a clue what they were talking about. And I would agree to do it. And they'd say, what kind of offer do you want? And that was in the early days. And I said, well, I don't know. Why? So well, that's how you know it's working when they show up with the offer. I was like, oh, well, let's do this and let's do that. And, and like the other guys, it's like then you dilute your value and you start bringing those lower quality customers in who, who will buy it at the cheapest price no matter what. And, and I learned that one day when I had a guy come in and I was putting a, a, a lock, ignition lock in his car and I noticed a new water pump. And I said, I told you you needed a water pump last time you were here. How come you didn't let me do it? He goes, I found it cheaper. That was it. And that and that's when I realized 
I'm getting the work when I'm cheaper. I have to stop and I have, I'm better than this. I'm good at what I do. I give a good product. I give good service. And I had to stop trying to be cheaper. I wasn't the pizza. I couldn't please everybody. I had to do what I needed to do to earn a living. And uh, Tom had mentioned, you know, when you go to the training and you finally learn to watch your numbers and what you should be doing and what the reality is, changed everything. And then we started to become a model of quality, a model of value. Uh, those of you who've seen my showroom, people walk in and go, wow, this is a repair shop. That's exactly what I want them to think when they come in. Right. Uh, so yeah, I had to learn the hard way by learning that I couldn't trust those people because their job is to get their money, not my, to get my money, not my customers. Frank, was the hard way years and years or did all of a sudden this, this happened over the course of say 18 months? It was probably a few years, you know, I'm going to say the first five years were really, really tough. Um, in, in fact, if it wasn't for a really, really good relationship I had with a, a high-end used car dealer who I did all of his recon work and all of his warranty work, which meant they could trust us implicitly. So when a customer said, hey, I have a problem with my car, they knew to take it to Frank. He'll do the right thing no matter what. He'll let me know if it's my problem. He'll let the customer know if it's their problem. And I was able to build a great customer base that way. Um, so it probably took me, I'm going to say up to five years to really just get out of my way, get out of my way and realize, you know, I didn't just buy a job. This isn't a hobby anymore. I've got to get serious about this. So I'm a shop owner and I have to appreciate numbers. What is this that my accountant's trying to tell me? What is this that I keep hearing and reading about KPIs and numbers and net operating profit and gross margins? Ah! Ah. So as a, as a coach, right? And those are the very, very first questions I, I ask. Do you know the difference between gross profit and net profit? Be honest with me. Tell me the truth. Do you understand the difference between gross profit percent, gross profit dollars? And, and I'm asking these questions because when you're in a situation where you're in a class, or you're trying to help somebody else. As soon as you go th- past something you do not understand, your focus stays back there. And you cannot learn, you cannot move forward, you cannot grasp what's coming up next because you're still going, what was that? Gross profit? What? What, what does he mean? Mm-hmm. And that is so critical. So as a shop owner, if you do not understand it, you do not fully grasp, do not pretend that you do. Right. It will cost you too much. Be honest because you're not alone. You are not alone because I promise none of us starting the way we did kind of, you know, being whatever our backgrounds were, truly grasp those numbers unless you went to accounting school and had a good grasp for it. And even my accountants, I've gone through accounts who did not understand cost of goods sold. They had no clue what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's a warning sign. So so tell me, uh, and, and what I want to ask all three of you is the learning curve on KPIs. I mean, can you say, hey, listen, these are the three that really changed my world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to take that one. So um, I took a lot of accounting in high school, and uh, even took quite a bit of accounting in a in a couple years after high school, and still didn't know. So I knew the importance. Uh, I'm actually, I, I love numbers. I'm an accountant mind, yet I ran damn near two decades without tracking the right numbers. So I knew, I understand net profit, gross profit. That always made sense to me. I always monitored that. 
the biggest numbers for me that I used to miss out on is uh, average repair order and uh, and how that can play into to everything. Uh, I used to run a very high car count, daily car count model, and a very low average repair order, uh, sub 400 average repair order, and uh, never knew that 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 was a lot of work for, for, for not a lot of, uh, pay at the bottom of the line, you know, uh, now that I know that there's so many more KPIs to track and that you can use to diagnose every single problem you've got going in your shop. Now I'm running a, you know, an average of a 13 and a half average repair or, or car count shop and about an 800 average repair order with the same size crew, and I've got, you know, almost 10 cars less a day coming in, 10 cars, 10 customers less to, to please, uh, way more or way lower risk. Uh, my office is nice and calm. Uh, my staff is, uh, is less stressed. We have time to take care of that customer that, uh, that wants and deserves our attention. So average repair order was probably the number one, uh, KPI that, uh, I wasn't aware that I needed to track it, so therefore, obviously, I didn't track it because I didn't even know I didn't even know what average repair order was, and that was probably five six years ago. You know what I mean? So, so that's mine. Average repair order. Mm-hmm. I needed to. I needed a system that would help me track my year over year growth. Uh, help me understand what my overhead. When I first started, I didn't even fully understand overhead. Um, I didn't understand how to get my break even uh, because we had such variable costs with labor and parts. Um, I, I could understand. Okay, my phone bills this, my rent is this, my insurance is this. I could add all that up, but I couldn't figure out how do I need to know how many hours I need to sell that's going to cover that plus the labor and the parts and there's there's mathematical equations to help you with that so um understanding how to get that operating uh overhead and your break-even numbers were really critical to me um i just went through an sba program where i learned all about quick ratios and and things that uh, the banking industry looks at and how important it is to to have that line of credit before you need it um so there was some really important things in there that, that even now I just didn't, I, I'd never thought about it. We've always kind of operated Dave Ramsey, like here, if we don't have the money, we don't, we don't get it. It's the way it is. Suck it up, big boy. Um, but <laughs> we're learning and, and I do need to take those things into consideration, especially if I want to grow the way in which I want to grow. So um understanding my overhead, understanding my true break even, looking at my monthly numbers, not waiting until tax season and saying, wait a minute, why do I owe $16,000 and where am I going to get $16,000? So um, maybe that, did that answer it? Sorry. Well, it, it answered it according to you. Yeah. No, but it was great. I, I loved when she started talking about quick ratios and saying, hmm, where do I get that? See, that's the balance sheet side, everyone. And and, and so everybody is, you know, we, we're concentrating on the P&L, and yet there's another document that we get, and that is the... There's three we need to look at. If you look at any just one, man, you're in trouble. you yes. got to look at all of them. Are you? Uh, is your third one the cash flow statement? Yes. 
really important, very critical. We've done a lot of shows on uh, on finance and and stuff. Frank, you started this thing out for us, but what was what was the big uh, big number that changed you? Yeah, so gross profit percent was my big number because it took me a long time to realize <clears throat> that without gross profit, there was no money for expenses. Rents don't change, phone bills don't change, power bills, yeah, a little bit. You know, you got hot months, cold months, whatever. But for the most part, you know, those hourly people, taxes, things like that, you need the money to pay those bills. And without gross profit, you don't have it. And um, one of the things I track the most now, um, this year was really important to me, is my effective labor rate. Because I always used to think my door rate was my labor rate. And then I'm crunching these numbers. I'm going, oh, wait a minute. If I did this many hours, I should have this many dollars. And I don't. What happened? So now I'm learning my effective labor rate is critical. And the lower that is, the worse I'm doing in the back of probably selling diagnosis and, and keeping the guys working. So I'm watching that real carefully. And um, and uh, Bambi, the, uh, my break even, I learned that a few years ago. I actually have a spreadsheet where I can go through and I average my monthly expenses. And I plug it in. And I can do my current gross profit, my target gross profit, and see how many cars I need to do, how many dollars I need to sell. And um, that helps me understand. And like Tom was saying, when your ARO is low and your gross profit is low, you got to bring in a lot more cars, work a lot harder, take in people you don't want to take in. Right. And you're just on this hamster wheel of life, never getting ahead. And when you start to really look at these numbers and realize, wait a minute, this is a legitimate business. Legitimate businesses charge a fair price, and earn money, right? I can't go into the grocery store and have her ring up my groceries and have her say $72.56 and say, will you take 60? Right. And you're not doing a good service to your clients because you're not going to be here. You're going to miss something on quality because you're going to be tired. You're not going to give service because you're going to be angry and you're going to snot off. There's a lot of different things that that impacts. So, a good customer is going to want a good warranty. They're going to want someone who's going to be there long term. Um, so I'm with you. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, how very very interesting this is. You know, Tunnel Academies go places I never expect. It's because I have such great guests on. Some great comments. Always great to see Keith Perkin with us. Uh, experience is simply the name we give our mistakes, he says. And some great chatter in the. Uh, in the chat box. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to let you go around the room. We'll, we'll give you a final comment. Uh, this weekend, share this with some friends. I know there's a lot of people that take that cup of java on Saturday mornings. They'll listen to a podcast or they'll watch the Facebook replay of this. Of course, we put this back out next Wednesday, so you can listen to it in your mobile commutes. And I thank you. For, thanks, everyone, for the support of the uh, of the brand, uh, Remarkable Results, Town Hall Academy, and the new show, called for the records uh, for the record hey let's go around the room and uh, any great summary any great piece of wisdom remember you're having a chance to talk to people that are going to value this discussion and maybe they maybe they'll kick their world up you know instead of waiting another two years to finally figure it out let's let's change the world now tom i'll start with you yeah so uh i mean the title of this uh what did we do wrong and uh, what did we learn from it right um for me, the, the biggest life changer I've ever had is receiving training. Uh, and I think, honestly, our industry is doing a really good job lately of uh, getting training out there uh, in, in front of us. So it used to be, I would say five years ago, uh, most people didn't know there was uh, business coaches for the automotive industry. 
Now it should no longer be, should I hire a coach or should I go to class? It should be, which coach am I going to hire? Which classes I'm going to go to? Uh, and that goes for everybody. Uh, I know uh, my shop is running great and I'm still going to be in a class at least every quarter um, uh, myself. So I encourage everybody out there, regardless if you're in our industry or not, uh, get to class, find a coach, do the work. Perfect. Bambi. Sure. I would say um, determine what type of business model you want to run uh, and then hire smart, smart people to help you partnership, uh, partner up with other industries, get a good CPA on board, get a good HR company on board, get a bunch of people referring you, um, understand, have those meetings monthly if need be, quarterly with your CPA so you understand your numbers, where you're going, what you're aiming for, uh, have fun in the process, uh, depend heavily on your people, make sure that they, they're, they've got your your vision, your mission, and uh, laugh at your mistakes. You don't have to be perfect. Great, great advice. Thank you. Frank? So, uh, you know, it's okay to fail, right? As long as you learn from it. And it's okay to let my people fail as long as they learn from it. Um, Customers are going to get upset and leave no matter what we do. It's going to happen. And don't take it personally. That's, for me, the most difficult thing, um, is t- still to this day, even when I've had zero interaction, I take it personally and, and can't do that. We just can't do that. I read a, a leadership book and I can't remember the exact name of it. I think it was the one minute manager series. And there's four ways to lead people. Some people you can tell them what to do and they got 100% fire off and do it perfectly. Don't need to interfere or intervene to people who need a little bit of direction, people need a little bit more direction, people who need 100% direction. And it's learning who's on your team that needs that style of leadership. And, and I'm trying to walk over that bridge right now. Who, who do I need to give a project or an assignment to and walk him through it? And who can I give it to where they could just run with it? That's great advice. Yeah, that's great, great advice. Thanks to Bambi Crozier, Car Clinic in Lowell, Arkansas. Frank Scandura from Frank's European in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm going to be at his place at the end. Uh, actually, I think November 1st, right? November 2nd. Uh, November 2nd. Like that, yeah. And then Tom Lambert, Shaytree Automotive in Layton, Utah. Thank you so much for your contributions to the Town Hall Academy. Another fun day. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Thanks. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.